Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on this weekend edition on 101.3 KPCG coming up on this weekend episode. A lot to talk about in relation to the uh, senseless uh, school shooting that happened just a day or so ago. Lots coming out in the media about it, but there is uh, one aspect that's not being talked about very much, and we've got a lot of details about that, a very important aspect of that situation. Also, information about the importance of Shakespeare in the British Empire. It's a Kia David program this weekend. We'll take a look at that and more this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. And we're online at kpcg.fm, live link at thetrumpet.com. This is the weekend edition. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon with you here today. And, uh, of course, it's been a crazy week in the news. There's always a lot that goes on, and this was a really uh, just uh, a week that focused a lot on the school shooting that happened. Uh, in there in Florida, and so now as we uh, are a few days removed from that, now everyone comes out with their different sides of things, and and uh, quite a media backlash. Of course, the liberal media uh, f- flat out blaming the current president and uh, lawmakers, and so we'll look at some of uh, some of that. Try to get to the bottom of what's actually happened in terms of laws there, but then also another really interesting uh, aspect of it: uh, all of these shooters, as we'll see, in most, in, in, well, there's there's quite a few of them. Uh, they've all had some pretty pretty uh, tough things in common, one of them being really bad home lives in most cases. And then also a lot of them are on medications. And there's quite a few write-ups about that we're going to take a look at. Yeah, those are really some fantastic write-ups that help us get to the root of it. Uh, people are talking a lot about uh, gun control right now or, you know, if you see something, say something, which is also part of it. But it's not getting to the heart of the issues and even when talking about guns or prescription medications or whatever the drugs are, it goes even deeper than that. Yeah, it does. So we're going to take a look at this and <clears throat> very interesting topic today. And then later in the program, of course, preview what's coming up on the Key of David program and then get into some of that, which is about uh, the importance of Shakespeare in the British Empire. Empire is not a dirty word. Not when it's a good empire, but some people think that uh, the British Empire was bad. We're going to debunk that. <laughs> Uh, this is a write-up from thetrumpet.com. Another school shooter, another fatherless child. This is by Andrew Miller. It says, the director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia, Brad Wilcox, pointed out in, a 2013, in 2013 that nearly every U.S. school shooting that year involved a young male whose parents either divorced or never married in the first place. He said, as the nation seeks to make sense of these senseless shootings, we must also face the uncomfortable truth that turmoil at home all too often accounts for the turmoil we end up seeing spill out onto our streets and schools. He wrote in his article, uh, Sons of Divorce, School Shooters. The social scientific evidence about the connection between violence and broken homes could not be clearer. And as you pointed out, I think it was yesterday, Grant, you don't see well-adjusted people from good home situations have these situations. You see them coming from uh, bad situations. And then, like it says, 
the trouble at home spills out into the street and, and beyond. Exactly. They're all they're always miserable people, people that everyone says if I had to pick anyone in the entire school who would do something like this, it would be him. And I even heard an interview from one of the girls uh, at the school. Uh, I heard it this morning. She said uh, that once this guy blended back in with the crowd walking out, she joked with them, I'm surprised it wasn't you. Oh, wow. And he basically said, huh? Like, like he, he, he seemed guilty right when she said that, and she was just messing with him, but she turned out to be right. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah, that's what's coming out now. People are, people are saying, oh, yeah, he had, a, he had, a, you know, he, he had uh, a lot of warning signs. But again, as this article from thetrumpet.com points out, lots of studies are showing that there's problems at home in the first place. So here, here you have this narrative forming in the media that, well, it's all about uh, guns. And uh, but people aren't talking about the breakdown in family, the breakdown in society. Matter of fact, they push that, that you can rewrite family any which way you want to. And it makes no difference. And then something crazy happens and people say, well, what's going on here? We need to look at the weapons. Well, how about looking at the broken families? Well, then we all start screaming about the effects of the root cause, which it is broken families. And, um, you know, Satan's at the heart of that too. But people at the even at the candlelight vigil at this school were chanting and screaming, "No more guns!" So it's always it's always going off on some twiggy issue of it and not getting back to the core. Right. And uh, the thing people have to remember not that you know not that uh, anybody wants to see lots of guns. The world would be a great place if there were no weapons. <clears throat> but what happens, say, in this country? What if the United States said? We're going to get rid of every single weapon that exists in the United States. How long would it be until we were taken over by another nation? It would be almost immediately, right? <laughs> but that's why American citizens are afforded the right to have weapons. It's to protect them from an overthrow <laughs> or, or to being, being taken as, you know, hostage to a dictatorial regime. People want to talk about hunting and all that. that that's not the point. The point is, is, is the government going to give up their weapons? Of course not. So that's why there is that right for people to have weapons. Yeah, and the way you put it there, talking about a possible foreign invasion, it's pretty obvious when you look at it that way, but but you're right. The same logic applies even when we're looking at our own government. Our own government could become a tyranny like so many in, in the world, and to prevent us having someone like Kim Jong-un or uh, you know Mahmoud Ahmadinejad when he used to rule Iran, you have to be able to show the government, look, we're not just going to allow you to trample on the Constitution. And for a lot of those people, it's that's the physical solution, is to have guns. And obviously, it does go deeper than that, too. There has to be a spiritual solution, ultimately. Well, there was, uh, there was a write-up today I saw. Somebody commented, and they said, well, how come we only see you know this type of violence in America and not other civilized societies, quote-unquote? And I thought, what civilized societies? North Korea? Yeah, you don't see a lot of gun violence there unless it's the military gunning down citizens. <laughs> yeah, you might see that, or them starving to death. Look at the nations where they say, well, there's no, no those, none of those problems. There's a lot of problems in those countries. What about that massive terrorist attack in France where the gunmen were allowed to reload several times and, and kill well over 100 people because no one there had a gun to shoot back? I mean, that's a pretty obvious example of what happens when you disarm good people in britain knife attacks have risen dramatically because guns are banned so it's just an obvious example there that people will always find another weapon to carry out their crimes if you take away a gun or whatever else yeah the worst i mean the worst uh attack in uh, of course oklahoma city that everybody remembers was a 
bomb made out of fertilizer. You know, if people have it in their minds to cause problems, they come out in a lot of different ways. We should ban bombs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody wants, I mean, nobody in their right minds wants any sort of weapons, but that's not the world we live in, unfortunately. Uh, and the problem is, is that the only people that actually follow the laws are law-abiding citizens. And, and as was pointed out on the Trump Daily Radio show today, there are plenty of laws, but people don't follow them. They're already on the books, but people just don't follow them. The criminals don't follow them. That's the point. <laughs> right. And it it really wasn't even just today that people started talking about political motivations uh, for for like a solution to attacks like this. Right away, someone like even Barack Obama was saying we need common sense gun measures. He didn't say what they were, and he didn't say whether that those actual measures would actually stop this exact shooting. It sounds nice to have common sense gun measures, but is it going to solve the problem? That's why he didn't bring it up, because it won't. It's a, well, even that's an amazing point, based upon the way the media looks at it. President Trump came out, gave his remarks, and they said, well, he, he tried to be nice, but he didn't give any specifics. And then you have on the other side, somebody say, we need common sense laws. And everyone's like, well, finally, <laughs> what what specifically are you talking about? It's, it's the same same thing, just the media spins it. But what here's another really interesting side of this that is being covered, but not by enough people. This is from the New York Post. And this gets back to what was covered on the Trump Daily Radio Show. I think it was on Thursday. Suspected school shooter says attack was instructed by demons. Is anybody going to believe that? says the deranged gunman who killed 17 people at his former South Florida school told investigators that demons told him how to unleash the massacre, according to a report. This is the New York Post. Law enforcement sources told ABC News that Nicholas Cruz, 19, said the voices in his head gave him instructions on how to carry out the attack at the high school. Cruz confessed to killing 14 students and three teachers with an assault rifle that he had bought legally after undergoing a background check. He had bought the AR-15 just three days after uh, his last day attending the school and then got it later. So people want to focus on the weapon. Uh, but what about this side of it? He said he heard voices that told him how to do this. And he's not the only one that has said that. You go down the list of people that have been involved in these shootings and they almost all have the same story. Mm-hmm. What about that side of it? What about that that part of the story? Well, and here's an example of someone who passed a background check. He didn't have necessarily a prior criminal record. People around him might have thought that, that he was a bit strange, but uh, what solution is there to something like that? I mean, this is talking about the spirit realm, demons. How How do you stop something like that? There is a way to stop it. It is by raising our children the right way and, and obeying God's laws. Uh, but this is just... It, it just points you to a lot of scriptures in the Bible that talk about the spirit realm too. Even even like Habakkuk one and verse eleven, it talks about a leader of uh, the Holy Roman Empire in the future whose mind is going to change, and he's going to impute power to his God. I mean, that's that's a pretty obvious reference to someone worshiping Satan, and his mind is altered because of that. It's uh, something that people don't know how to handle because they're looking for a physical solution to a spiritual problem, and so. They say, well, it's okay, it's mental illness, if they go that direction. Well, here's a write-up from WND.com. It says, media ignoring one crucial factor in Florida school shooting. 
It says, as information about the perpetrator emerges, a relative confines to a newspaper that the troubled youth who committed the mass murder was on psychiatric medications. It says, you know, those powerful little little understood mind-altering drugs with fearsome side effects, including, quote, suicidal uh, uh, ideation and even homicidal ideation. And we've all seen the commercials for these drugs. You know, if you have thoughts of suicide, go ahead and call (laughs) somebody or whatever. Well, it goes from suicidal to homicidal even. People are on these drugs, and um, it's causing problems for some people that are pretty serious. On the surface, that shouldn't really uh, make sense because these drugs purport to help people who are miserable at least relax a little bit, at least have some of their stress relieved, and yet it's pushing so many of them in the exact opposite direction to where people are literally just losing their minds. Uh, People who... I saw this this interesting stat. One out of every 250 people who takes, like, uh, I think it was Prozac, ends up being involved in a violent incident. One out of every 250 people. So if you go up to, like, 25,000 people, that's 31 of them who are going to be committing some kind of a violent act. Now, whether the drugs cause that or not, the drugs certainly aren't preventing anyone from committing violent attacks. They're They're opening up people's minds and it may not be every single individual as you pointed out but certainly some and this write-up says yet the predictable response from the press is always the same not only a total lack of curiosity but disdain for any who asks the question as though connecting psychiatric medication to mass shootings is pursuing a conspiracy theory and he, the author goes on to point out you know what proves something isn't a conspiracy theory when it's true <laughs> when you have the facts to back it up they need to look into this topic a little bit more, I think. Yeah, and he he gives basically an example bomb. He just throws yeah. out every paragraph of this article is specific proof of someone who had just gotten onto prescription drugs or antidepressants literally a week or two before killing grandparents, killing parents, killing their children, uh, going on a shooting rampage. Uh, it's just shocking how many people have specifically had problems with antidepressant drugs before doing something like this. Yeah, they say this recent situation is strikingly similar to reports right after the 2013 school massacre in Newtown, Connecticut, when Mark and Luis uh, Timbascio, uh, family friends of shooter Adam Lanza and his mother, were interviewed on CBS's 60 Minutes, during which time they told uh, Scott Pelley, I know he was on medication and everything, but she homeschooled him and at home because he couldn't deal with school classes sometimes, so she just homeschooled him at home, and that was her life. I knew he was on medication. That's all I know. So they're on these medications to help them deal with some sort of problem, they think. And then they end up going out and having these violent rampages. And people are not uh, looking at the connection enough to see, is there a connection between taking these psychiatric drugs and then violent outbursts? Right. And like you said, these things do open up the mind. It's like they tear down all of our defenses. They take away our diligence and our uh, vigilance against any sort of demonic attack. I mean, probably a big part of these drugs is just to try to help people clear their minds totally so that uh, they're not thinking about whatever's making them miserable, at least for a while. But the problem is, whenever you clear your mind totally, it opens your mind up for anything to take the place of whatever just left your mind. That's that's the danger of it. They have, And like you said, there's all these examples here. Columbine uh, mass killer Eric Harris was taking Luvox like Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, Effexor, and many others, a modern, widely prescribed type of antidepressant drug called uh, selective serotonin. 
uh, just on and on uh, it goes with what was being taken. And uh, there's other examples. Patrick uh, Purdy went on a schoolyard shooting rampage in 1989 in California. He was um, uh, on an antidepressant as well, th- uh, Thorazine. Uh, Kip Kinkle, you remember that name? He was 15. He murdered his parents in 1998 and then went to school and killed others. Uh, he was prescribed both Prozac and Ritalin. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Is there a connection between the drugs these people are taking and the actions they end up uh, perpetrating? And a lot of these people then went on and said, I felt like I had no control over what I was doing. And it was like I was watching my favorite TV show. You know what's going to happen, but you can't stop it. I mean, these that's clearly people who are out of their right mind and don't have control over what they're doing anymore. Kurt Danish, 18, shot his own father to death in 1996, a little more than two weeks after starting on Prozac. His description of his own mental-emotional state at the time of the murder is chilling. He said, I didn't realize I did it until after it was done. This might sound weird, but it felt like I had no control of what I was doing, like I was left there just holding a gun. And other people are saying the same basic things. There's a chilling example of Andrea Yates. Uh, you might remember her. She ended up killing her children. She was involved in all sorts of the medications and other things. And here's one that's really kind of sums it up. They say, one more case is instructive, that of 12-year-old Christopher Pittman, who struggled in court to explain why he murdered his grandparents. They had provided the only love and stability that he'd ever known in his turbulent life. He said, when I was lying in my bed that night, I couldn't sleep because my, the voice in my head kept echoing through my mind telling me to kill him. He had been angry with his grandfather who disciplined him earlier in the day. He went and got a gun and he killed him. He said, I got up, I got the gun, I went upstairs and I pulled the trigger. Though, through the whole thing, it was like watching your favorite TV show. You know what is going to happen, but you can't do anything to stop it. And he was on these medications as well. Same story with all these guys. Yeah, they all have voices, and can we really uh, apply some kind of a physical solution to something like that? Where are those voices coming from? That's not something that normal people experience, and it's not something that just pops into someone's imagination. Those are actual voices that people are hearing, uh, asking you know, asking friends if uh, they believe that Satan could read their mind or if they believed in demon possession and saying, you know, Satan was commanding me to kill my kids. That's what Andrea Yates was saying. And then she even requested to be executed because she thought that Satan was inside of her and that was a way to kill Satan. Those are some pretty uh, blatant statements there that should tell us a lot about what's going on in these people's minds. Yeah, it's just uh, something to be careful of. I mean, and like, like we mentioned, we all see the commercials every night if you watch the news where, and they're always happy music and everyone's smiling and then they tell you what could potentially happen to you and it always is suicidal tendencies and now legally some of them have to put homicidal tendencies because there's been cases of people taking the medication and killing others but like they pointed out these drug companies they make so much money and they've never lost a lawsuit they don't want this to come up because this would be a lawsuit and so they're burying it and people are moving on to the gun debates but what about what people are putting in their minds or opening their minds up to? Yeah, this ought to give anyone who is experiencing a depression of any kind pause uh, before considering this as a possible solution because uh, look at look at some of the side effects. Losing control of your mind, is it really worth it? The, the possibility of maybe getting rid of depression but then going on a rampage like this, uh, the consequences are just simply uh, too great here to risk something like that. 
Well, and what do, what does anybody really know about what these these medications do to your mind? I mean, you're taking a doctor's word for it, I suppose, or prescribing it. But what does it do? Uh, that's something that I, you know, who knows what those chemicals are doing to people's minds. But in these situations, they've led to uh, mass killings. So it's serious <laughs> business, something to look at. Yeah, they're, they're mind-altering substances. Are we really going to say that there aren't any solutions that, uh, wouldn't have to alter our minds. I mean, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the program just how this one doctor who dared to say that exercise is a better idea than prescription drugs she actually got ridiculed for it. That's a great solution. Getting outside, getting fresh air, exercising, that's one way to deal with something like that. And obviously, of course, getting getting into a good relationship with God would help to fight back as well. These are solutions that don't alter your mind with some sort of a chemical drug. Every day, sadly, there's just horrible headlines everywhere. Uh, a lot of them don't make as big of a stir because they're not necessarily mass killings, but they're killings. It happens in every town in America, pretty much. And when you read the details, there was one I just saw the other day, um, and they all kind of have the same narrative, which is people were doing drugs, whether it's legal or illegal. <laughs> legal, but um, that's that's what's happening. I did this drug, I was doing this, and then this crime happened. You just see the pattern repeating over and over and over again. People are opening their minds up to powers and they don't know what they're messing with. Yeah, and like we talked about at the beginning with uh, Andrew Miller's piece at thetrumpet.com, he says there's already been 41 what they classify as mass shootings this year. I mean, it's happening almost every single day. And like you said, so many of those people... Uh, they're not in their right mind when they're doing that. They've opened themselves up to demonic influence through drugs or whatever other addictions they're involved in, and that's just what happens. That's why we have to be careful with what our minds take in. The U.S. prison system is uh, overcrowded, obviously, and uh, I've seen a few shows talking about that topic, and almost everybody that they uh, talk to that's in there, you know, they've committed a very horrific crime, and it's all started with uh, drugs to where they weren't in their right mind when they did what they did. That's not everybody, but that's a large, large percentage of it. So, And the scary thing about this stuff uh, that we're talking about here specifically is that it's things that people get prescribed and you can you can have. And young people can have it and get prescribed it and they make them take it and they think that it helps. And I don't know. Um, I, I just can't believe that it does. When you see these stats and these numbers, you think that the media would just start doing some digging, but they're not interested in this topic. Yeah, and it makes you wonder if they've been maybe paid off. I mean, we've we've heard examples of the media being paid not to discuss certain things. What if pharmaceutical companies helped help them decide not to report on things like that? There's a lot of money at play there, and media companies could make a lot of money through bribery too. Well, it'd be really fascinating to to do a re- research uh, and do some investigation and find out the number of people that have firearms. And then the, the number of those that actually commit a crime with them versus those that are on medications and those that they act out in some way. What are the percentages there? Because I bet with the uh, prescription drugs, and then, of course, you factor in the other drugs as well, but that those numbers would be staggering, I bet. Mm-hmm. So where is the real where is the real issue if you want to get to the heart of something people could do to stop some of these problems? It's obviously what's going on in the mind and the people altering their minds or making their minds blank slates to where powers can come in there and start manipulating their thinking. And again, we have to ask, is it is it even worth the risk? Even if we think that, oh, we can handle a little bit of marijuana or, you know, we can reasonably apply to ourselves these prescription 
painkillers or whatever it is, uh, is it worth the risk? Do we do we really think that we have high enough uh, self control to make sure that we don't fall into a trap like that? It's it's really pretty startling. You can read the rest of the write up. They go through lots of examples. It's from WND.com. Media ignoring one crucial factor in Florida school shooting. And you will hear people talk about mental health a little bit, but their solution to it is to get people more medications. Is that the solution to it? It's not the solution to it. It doesn't solve problems. And so, but again, trying to deal with the spiritual problem with physical means, it just never works. It just doesn't work. And so it's a very interesting write-up. One of the things, of course, that's being focused on now is uh, the guns and the gun control and the, the media is having a meltdown about it. And, uh, of course, late-night comedians that are turned scholars, apparently, <laughs> are having their meltdowns, too, and blaming um, the current president for not doing anything. And then some lady was yelling about the president needs to do something. Is you know, is it, what, what are you going to do? You know, from this day forward, I, I ban all. You know, they, they, they blame the person in office right now. It's really interesting to look at some of the history of what's happened with some of these gun laws recently, and it's not what uh, the media makes it out to be. Right. Uh, they're always acting like if the president is not personally there to stop the shooter himself, he is at fault somehow. They're, they're not even thinking about the fact that the right to bear arms is actually the Second Amendment to the Constitution. It's really high up on the list for a reason, because the Founding Fathers, like we said earlier, knew there was a risk of the government becoming tyrannical, and at least if there was a threat of the of the people resisting that, they would they would at least try to have some sort of godly fear to obey the Constitution. So people right now are really focusing on the saying that what they said was, well, the president hasn't done anything about it. I don't, you know, what's he supposed to do? Uh, but this is from Thought.co. It says gun laws signed by Obama, uh, just because that people are saying he really was anti-gun. Well. During his first term, Obama didn't call for any major new restrictions on gun or gun owners. Instead, he urged authorities to enforce the state and federal laws already on the books. Sounds fine. In fact, Obama signed only two major laws that address how guns are carried in America and both actually expanded the rights of gun owners. You used to have to not be able to carry a gun openly in a, a federal park, uh, but now you can uh, under his law. And then if you're on Amtrak, you don't have to have it checked in your baggage. You used to have to, now you don't. So those are the laws that he put into place. Well, that's just, just a totally different from everything that he says on the subject. And it does seem like today we prioritize words more than actions. People get fired up about whatever this president says or whatever the last president says. And they don't go look at the record and see what the fruits are of what these men have done. And in Barack Obama's case, clearly he didn't care too much about gun le legislation or else he would have tried to en enact a whole lot more bills. Yeah, he um, he played it real cool the first his first uh, term because he didn't want he wanted the votes in the second term and yeah. then the second term he tried a few things but but nothing of nothing substantial but see what happened then what was the difference then well then you just blame Congress right because he, he they didn't want to put blame anywhere so he didn't he didn't do anything uh, other than he had some strongly worded statements I guess but nothing happened and then uh, there's this accusation going around that that President Trump uh, repealed this law that now lets mentally ill people get guns. Uh, Newsbusters.org says the accusation that a bill designed to remove restrictions and allow the mentally ill to purchase guns was passed by the GOP and signed by President Trump has long been debunked. What got removed was, in layman's terms, the rule that would have allowed bureauc bureaucrats within one federal agency uh, to bar American citizens from exercising a constitutional right. 
and on the highly questionable grounds that to be incapable of managing one's finances is by definition a mental illness. <laughs> so basically what was happening was uh, they wanted uh, so people to be able to look and say, okay, somebody's getting Social Security benefits, but uh, they have somebody else that's helping them manage their estate because they're just in a situation where they're, they're not able to do that right now. That makes them mentally ill, therefore they can't have a gun. Mm-hmm. And people said, well, that's ridiculous. That's not mental illness. That's, that's a completely different thing. And it was never enforced anyway, and it got gotten rid of. And you know who wanted to get rid of it? The ACLU and the American Association of People with Disabilities. The NRA didn't even care. <laughs> so you've got people that are out there telling you that President Trump is saying mentally ill people can get guns. That's what happened. That's not nothing like what they're telling you. There's so many lies out there. Even if we just thought about that for a second, where was the uproar at the time this happened, supposedly? I mean, if if the Republicans come out and say, look, we want deranged, mentally ill people to get guns, everyone would have been on fire about that right away. Now we're just trying to bring up that, oh, yeah, this happened in the past and somehow no one noticed, noticed it. Somehow the media didn't report on this for three months straight. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course this didn't actually happen. Yeah, when uh, in the, the headlines that the media has thrown out there, uh, they have a, this sample at uh, National Review. And, of course, it's all very uh, inflammatory. You know, House strikes down Obama-era regulation that blocked gun sales to mentally ill. And then, of course, the celebrities come along and retweet it. They don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> the ACLU didn't want the rule. <laughs> and so they're trying to blame it on the president. <laughs> it's just amazing. But, but that narrative now has taken on a life of its own, and people believe that that's true. Yeah, and even I've even seen uh, like Slate.com was lying about what the first time that President Trump responded to the shooting. He responded early afternoon, the day it happened, and they tried to say that, oh, he didn't respond until Thursday morning via a tweet. And all you have to do is look at his Twitter timeline to see that he tweeted about it literally minutes after it first happened, and he tweeted about it twice. Well, and they were waiting for all the facts to come in. What are you supposed to say? You have to wait until you even know what's going on because you could stir up all kinds of panic or all kinds of problems and not have the facts. And so, and didn't he give yeah. a speech later the same day? I mean, it's such a blatant lie, but how many people are actually going to go back and check for themselves? If they already trust a source like that, they're probably not going to look into it, and they're just going to think, wow, the president waited two or three days and didn't even care about the people enough to issue a statement earlier. Right. Well, and that's what Newsbusters points out. Most people... Um, are just going to look at the headline. They're not going to read the article, so they don't even know exactly what's being talked about. And then they'll have a list of celebrities that retweet everything or put it on their late-night talk show like it's fact. And people say, oh, boy, can you believe what's going on around here? And and they don't even know what the actual details are. I mean, that's it's a misinformation campaign. Yeah, it's definitely a calculated strategy to deceive as many people as possible. Uh, it, there's, there's no way that media outlets don't know what they're doing they they absolutely have all the facts they understand the timeline of events they, they've been this is their entire job and yet they're still putting out things that any of us doing a two-minute internet search could debunk immediately obviously they're doing that on purpose well i was telling you before i was watching a little bit of coverage yesterday there and of course the media outlets want to run down to the school and and uh, it was a pretty liberal outlet and they were um this woman who was you know talking to these students and uh, was just leading them down the path. It was amazing. Like, don't you think we should get rid of all the guns? And the kid says, oh, yeah, I think so. And do you blame Congress for this? Yeah, I blame Congress. 
just leading them down. I, I'm like, do they even know what they're talking about? It, I, it's it's um, sickening, quite frankly. And those are the types of questions that you're always told as a journalist never to ask because you're basically dictating the response that you want to receive. And they just blatantly do it, and they say, well, look, all the kids, these poor victim, innocent children, believe that we need to get rid of the guns, so of course we need to. It's, it's like when Barack Obama gave a speech at, at Sandy Hook, and he, he lined up a bunch of small kids behind him who had no idea what he was saying or what he was advocating, but they used children as political props. It's unbelievable. Well, and yeah, I mean, if you're this, yeah, I felt bad, sort of, for this kid that they were interviewing, because here you are, some kid... And you've got you've got this major media outlet and personality in front of you, and they're you know shouldn't we do this and shouldn't we do that? I mean, no kid's going to say, "Hey, I don't even know what you're talking about," <laughs> or or say, "Actually, I disagree with that." You know, and they'd cut that off right away. They'd be like, "Well, anyway, back to you." You know, right? So they were just leading them down the trail on those questions, which I thought was just it would, to me that's really a, a, a tragedy because it, there was a real tragedy that happened there. It's terrible what happened there. And then to come in there and just start to pick people to back up your agenda, uh, I, I think uh, I'm surprised more people aren't upset by that. Right. And there have been people who, more than just asking leading questions, have been saying that the Republicans have blood on their hands. I mean, it's just all of all of the blame is directed at a political party and not at the deranged, probably demon-possessed or demon-inspired person who carried out the shooting. Why isn't there more anger <laughs> directed that way, at least? Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, you've got a uh, a write up here from Town Hall, which which deals also with sort of the way the media is conducting things in general. Uh, if Sarah Sanders were to smack the press, <laughs> so basically, if she were to treat them the way that they treated her, so it's kind of a humorous uh, look at just the way the media is. Right, and they're I guess they're, they're bringing up how recently they asked her twenty seven questions about a former White House staff secretary who was accused of domestic violence. And so she obviously had to take all these questions and and uh, didn't walk off like maybe she could have or she could have asked some retaliatory questions. Um, and this, this article says, the same outlets that couldn't muster more than one question regarding former President Bill Clinton's alleged rape of Juanita Broderick seem to ask 27 questions a day about this White House staff secretary. Uh, so he's, he says here, so we wondered, how much would reporters like it if Sanders were to question them as aggressively as they question her? <laughs> well, right. I mean, that's it's easy to put somebody up there under the limelight and just pepper them with a bunch of questions, especially ones that are not um, – you, the reporters are throwing out a very negative opinion and kind of forcing you to answer it, which always puts a person on their back foot. It puts them in a bad light. I see that all the time on the the nightly news uh, broadcast where they'll they'll have their stand up reporter that's at the White House and they'll say I asked the president today this question and then they show it and he's walking off to his plane and they yell you know how come you're you know it's some allegation there's not even really a question there and he doesn't hear him or doesn't respond he just keeps going and they're like he wouldn't answer my question you know <laughs> so I, you know anybody that's in that position is facing this same sort of situation and what's very fascinating about it is. There's plenty of write-ups, and it's been talked about a lot, where in the Obama administration, if they got questions they didn't like, they just ignored them and moved on mm -hmm. or, or blacklisted them from the room. They didn't answer their questions either. So, But now that the tables have turned, in some ways, the media just wants to pepper them with all these questions. Do you recall the media quaking and acting like the government was going to shut down their right to hold the government accountable 
back during the Obama administration when actual blatant uh, in, impingements on the press were taking place. It did, you never heard any of them say, well, this president is a threat, a threat to free speech and he must be stopped. They do it all the time. And you have someone like Sarah Huckabee Sanders just taking a, a brow beating in a press conference over something that has nothing to do with her or with the president or with any policies that are being enacted. It's someone who doesn't even work in the White House anymore, and yet she has to just basically stand up there. We don't know all the facts of it yet, so she mm-hmm. just says, well, you know, it was good to work with him while he was here. I don't know anything else about what has happened. And they try to twist that into, oh, well, she's defending someone who is accused of domestic violence, so she must be okay with that action. Right. I mean, anybody that, say, is at the, if you were at the top of a corporation that, let's say, hired or or employed even 400 people or something like that, which wouldn't be all that big, but, uh, and somebody that you don't really know, they kind of work there, they got into trouble with something, and they were grilling you, how, you know, as if you were coaxing them along and and you were heavily involved in the situation. I mean, that's ridiculous. How how would you know what everybody's doing personally? That those are very difficult questions for anybody to field. I mean, we, we all know probably somebody that maybe did something one time in their life or something even just by loose association. It's like, why, why would you be responsible for that? I don't know. You know, the guy that I drove by and then he got into a car wreck down the road. I, I don't know. I passed him <laughs> on the road. I mean, it's the same sort of thing. Right. And, and it's just inevitable the way that the media is going to respond to something like this. They try to weave this web to where it ties back to President Trump every single time. So this town hall writer, he paints this imaginary scenario um, he says, imagine an, ex- an exchange like this. NBC reporter Peter Alexander says, Sarah, how could you possibly not know about these charges? And how could Porter be praised as a good man? And why can't you offer us more transparency on the vetting process? Then Sanders replies and says, okay, let me ask you, how could you at NBC possibly not know about Matt Lauer? And it goes into a lot of details about all that stuff that was going on for how long was it? Like, sure. well over a decade. I mean, it was a really long time he was working there. Uh, Alexander replies, stop distracting. That's none of your business. We're a private company. We're not accountable to the public like you. Then Sanders replies, why don't you try that defense at a Comcast shareholders meeting? We don't have to be vigilant about our female employees. We're a private company. And while you're demanding transparency, how transparent was NBC in letting everyone know how it investigated Lauer's misdeeds? How transparent was NBC in investigating Brian Williams' lying on talk shows about all his amazing adventures in war zones? Next question. Like that, that is an easy rebuttal to everything they say because what they're doing is trying to paint her as guilty by association. People at NBC did something wrong. So wouldn't every single NBC reporter then be guilty by association as well? Don't they realize the irony in their questions there? Yeah. It's, it's, it's I, whoever has that job uh, of uh, having to go out there and face the press, that's just, I don't know how you could have a good day ever. <laughs> Cause you know, particularly in this administration, you know, you're going to get grilled over everything and, Stuff's going to come out of left field that you don't even know what they're talking about, and yet they're trying to get that gotcha moment. <laughs> put you yeah. on your back foot. Ah, gotcha. You know? Right. The questions uh, are very brutal for anyone who is a Republican press secretary. That's that's when the job is pretty difficult. They have this example at the end here of a senior White House correspondent from CNN. He asked um, at the time when he was a New York Times reporter, he asked President Obama, what has enchanted you the most from serving in this office? <laughs> the hardball question. That was, yeah. a, that was a tough one to answer there. Yeah. <laughs> that was on the 100-day mark of Barack Obama's presidency. 
And that was the best they could come up with. Now, remember when when President Trump had gotten through 100 days, you had every mainstream news outlet putting up like a a synopsis or like a dissection of his 100 days, and they just shredded every bit of what he did through 100 days. Do you think there's any way that any reporter would ask him a question, a softball question like that? No. No, it's amazing. And I always remember back back when uh, President Obama was coming in, I think it was his, yeah, it was his first term. So he was getting ready to come in. And there was all this euphoria, and the press couldn't couldn't believe how amazing it all was. And I just remember him the hard hitting interview. I think it was sixty minutes. They said, "What have what have you been doing to prepare to be president?" Because he really didn't have much of a track record other than voting present. <laughs> and uh, he said he read a book about Abraham Lincoln, and they were floored by it. They're like, "Whoa!" And I just thought. Well, I've read a book about Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Several, in fact. Should I be president too. It, that's all it takes to become president of the United States. I just, I was just amazed that they let that go, and were amazed by these pretty, pretty basic answers that they would shred other people for giving those same answers. Yeah, and Trumpet editor in chief Gerald Flory has a great booklet on this America under attack. You can find that at thetrumpet.com. and he talked about how reporters openly acknowledged that they would lose their minds around Barack Obama. It was like a teenage love affair. They could not get over how much they admired this president for whatever reason and they couldn't even really tell you why they liked him so much there's something going on there uh that that a lot of readers might find pretty interesting uh, america under attack america under attack yeah that's a really important book for for all all the things you see going on in the u.s all the problems and the way the press handles it and what's going on you really do need to get to america under attack because that that gives the uh answers to what's really going on here and it's not about new legislation, <laughs> that's for sure. So kind of interesting right up there at Town Hall if Sarah Sanders were to uh, smack the press. Smack the press. Uh, make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today. One of the top stories is your mysterious, awesome universe, a lighthearted voyage through time and space. So scientists estimate that 275 million stars are born and die every day in the observable universe. It's amazing numbers. It is a place of change and discovery, but God knows every one of the estimated 70, bi- 70 billion trillion stars by name, Psalm 147, verse 4. Would you like to get to know some of them, too? So it goes into some of the amazing things that are out there in the universe away from this earth. Yeah, and Callum Wood here gives some just um, incredible facts that are just hard to even uh, picture in, in some cases here. It says uh, in one part, to look into outer space is to look back in time. As you peer deeper into space from Earth, you begin to see things as they were billions of years ago because that's how long it takes the light to go that far to where we actually see it. So all of these brilliant planets or galaxies might not even exist anymore, and we're seeing what they were billions of years ago. That's just incredible just to think about how vast the universe is. It is amazing to think about that. Um for for those that like that sort of thing, and really, it's good for anybody. If you start like you read this article and you kind of look into some of the 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 true science of what's going on in the universe, it is astounding, and it leads you back to one ultimate question in reality, and that is, who made it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's too specific. It's it's too it's too exact in the way that it works. Who made that? Where did that come from? It's it's really fascinating to look at. Right, and this article gives a really uh, fun, in-depth virtual tour throughout the entire universe. But then he says the most amazing place is right here at home. You, all you have to do is look out the window or go outside, and you're experiencing the greatest place in the universe. Uh, he says, welcome back to Earth. It sits far from black holes and quasars. It is nowhere near exploding supernovae or clouds of alcohol. It isn't big. It doesn't explode, consume, radiate, or wander. 
yet there is no place like Earth, your home, and the universe knows it. Yeah, and then that's brought out, too, in uh, our incredible uh, universe uh, potential booklet. Um, there's just some amazing things in there as well. So there's quite a, quite a few write-ups um, there at thetrumpet.com that uh, get into that even even beyond uh, this uh, write-up, but this is a good introduction there. Also, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today with your host, Stephen Flurry. Make sure you listen for that. He talks a fair bit about uh, Shakespeare, which is what we want to talk about for the rest of our show today, and the British Empire. That's the new Key of David program that's uh, on this weekend, Shakespeare and the British Empire. William Shakespeare, universally recognized as the greatest non-Bible writer of all time, was immensely proud of the British Empire. And soon all mankind will become empire builders. Uh, there is there is this uh, very strong movement out there to really be down on the British Empire and, and uh, to attack them and then also to attack America. And so we want to take a look at this uh, write-up, uh, How the Empire Served the World by Jeremiah Jacques. It's from the February 2015 uh, Trumpet Print edition. And uh, he, he goes into some specifics here of why the British Empire really helped the world in many, many ways and is not the the evil, bad uh, empire that uh, many uh, revisionists are trying to make it out to be. And there is a disturbing trend today that all cultures are the same, and that same logic goes into this where all empires are the same. and. Jeremiah Jacques says, was the British Empire chillingly chillingly cruel and bullying? That's what some people say. Was it no different from the Babylonian, Persian, Greco-Macedonian, Roman, or Mongol empires that came before it? Did it operate in the same spirit as the Nazi Empire and Imperial Japan? And obviously not. And there's descriptions in the Bible and secular historical books that just detail appalling massacres that these other empires carried out in war. A lot of them would have no mercy. They would engage in brutal torture techniques. Uh, and the British Empire did nothing like that in any way, yet they're still unfairly compared to other empires simply because they both have the word empire in their names. Yeah, and what's so fascinating, uh, there's a trumpet brief sent out this uh, week, just the other day, by uh, Brad McDonald. And he was lamenting about how the Olympic coverage, they're just fawning over North Korea. Oh, wow, look at this. And they're making it out like North Korea and Russia. Like these are just, this is utopia. And then at the same time, those same same networks are will be very negative towards the U.S. Will be very negative towards uh, the U.K. Uh, come on now, North Korea. They're they're amazed that Kim Jong Un's sister showed up and smiled. I mean, that's all <laughs> that it takes to be awed. The people in that nation are starving to death as we speak, and they're trying to destroy the entire world, or at least the West, with nuclear weapons, and we're awed because this girl kind of half-smiled at somebody. Right. North Korea is horrible communist hermit kingdom, and well over two million people have died of starvation and torture. There's hundreds of thousands in labor camps to this day. Uh, it's not just something that happened decades ago, and that Mr. McDonald bring, brings that out. Uh, it's not a place that anyone should be glorifying, but... The left has had a history of glorifying uh, dictatorial regimes. Tucker Carlson had a great piece on that on Fox News the other night, just how um, they've glorified everyone from Stalin to Mao to now somehow they're they're obsessed with the North Korean regime. They've loved Iran. Uh, it's just overwhelming to see that somehow when they say that you know, Mr. Trump and Vice President Mike Pence are the worst leaders in the history of humankind. You can then look to the other side of the world and see them just absolutely praising North Korea. What is their standard there? How how can 
how can we give people like that any credibility when they think North Korea is some great utopia? Yeah, I mean, it makes your makes your blood boil a little bit, you know. And too, you you mentioned the fact that people say, "Oh, British Empire," and they'll talk about the Nazi Empire and that type of thing. Well, you remember the Olympics in Berlin in the thirties? What was it, thirty six or something? Where you know, at that time, people were really praising Hitler. Oh, he's a he's a great leader. Look what he's doing for Germany. Well, look what look what he did. But at the time, people well, the media loved him. But the British Empire was not like any of those empires. But this the British Empire did a lot of good for the world. Of course, you can find an example of somebody making a mistake here or there. Yeah, anybody can find that. But on the whole, it was not a cruel empire. It was a civilizing force that benefited mankind. The most significant blessings that the British Empire brought to the world were the rule of law, freedom, morality, and education. And with these, it lifted millions around the globe from squalor, darkness, and oppression. But, you know, sometimes they talk about, oh, you know, the occupying British Empire. Well, take a look at those nations before Britain came there. It wasn't like they came in and ruined paradise, okay? <laughs> they brought some form of civilization to those people. And in, in some cases, you can look uh, at those same nations since the British Empire left. Uh, India is a good example of that. I know a couple people from India. One of them, she'll re- re- readily tell anyone who asks that India was far better when Brit- Britain was colonizing it. And the other one is in love with the British Empire and the the benefits that it brought to the people there. And he moved to Canada because it, at least it was closer to uh, Britain itself. Yeah, you can learn a lot by talking to people that actually live in those places as opposed to just sort of the narrative from the the college professor mm-hmm. or whoever is throwing out some ideas. They didn't have to live there. That's, right. That's what always is the case of people who are glorifying the 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 Castros down in Cuba or whatever else it's the, the they're people who never experienced it and anyone who you know floated over on a boat to get to Florida from Cuba would tell you no it's it's not a great place and it makes them very angry to hear these scholarly people talking about how amazing it is i think that was even brought up in that uh article the other day from uh from Joel Hilliker about the educational system. Uh, there was somebody that came over from a communist regime, and they recognized the same sort of uh, institutionalized instruction happening there in those schools, some of the schools in the U.S., and they said, we've seen this before. We mm-hmm. got away from this, and they pulled their kids out of the school. Exactly. Because they lived in it. Exactly. And they, they recognized that this is the same thing that they're seeing, that they, they tried to flee from. Nobody was running away from the British Empire. No. People wanted the British Empire because it brought civilization. It brought, as it says here, rule of law, freedom, morality, and education. When you don't have access to those things, you you really crave those things. Exactly. And as Mr. Flurry brings out in that Key of David program that's, uh, I believe, going up today on the website, uh, the, the British people were blessed like that, and they were good rulers like that because they believed in the laws of the Bible, and they actually had biblical morality as the foundation of their society. Uh, William Shakespeare was someone who expanded their minds and made them think that they could rule the world, and they they actually prepared themselves for that role because of the poetry of Shakespeare. Yeah, it's amazing how, with all this talk about new educational practices in schools, you don't hear a lot of people talking about Shakespeare. Uh, Are they teaching that? You know, <laughs> maybe in some ways. I well, don't know. Some colleges actually take his portrait down from the wall. That There have been stories about that where, oh, he is a white man, so nothing he could ever say has any value. It's, it's insanity. 
some of the things that the British Empire did that were amazing for this world and brought out in this write-up how the empire served the world is the Industrial Revolution and free trade, and it gets into details there. But an interesting fact is from 1750 to 2009, the average daily income, we're talking globally here, uh, increased 11-fold, leaping from $1.75 a day to $20 per day. And, of course, we're, we're much more blessed in uh, some of the nations in the West here than that. But if you look on the whole, you know, a lot of people don't don't have that much. But that is a massive jump, an 11-fold increase. Uh, I don't see a lot of oppression in that. <laughs> We're going to oppress you with an 11-fold increase in uh, average uh, income. <laughs> exactly. And, and Jeremiah Jacques makes the great point that every other massive empire throughout history allowed its leaders to get extremely wealthy while the people became impoverished. So the leaders basically oppressed the people, took way too much power and money to themselves, and and basically made the people miserable. That's what every other empire has done. Here is the exact opposite magnified, and we do nothing but scorn it in modern education today. Uh, He says, is it a coincidence that these unprecedented gains for mankind came during the time of the British Empire? These are the people who basically inspired the Industrial Revolution and all these advances in technology and science that were able to lift people out of the suffering that they were experiencing. Yeah, and they also brought vital infrastructure and technologies. They would expand uh, into areas and build roads, railways, ports, buildings, power generation, irrigation systems, communication networks, sanitation systems, infrastructure that boosted uh, agricultural output. And it just I got to tell you, it just gets me uh, a little uh, irritated, to say the least, when you see some propaganda films or advertisements praising, you know, like uh, – uh, the ways that people did things years and years ago in different cultures. And it's pretty backwards. And you think, well, that's not... So that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to aspire to not understand sanitation systems. Why do you think people got so sick and died? Mm. They didn't have the laws of God that govern sanitation. So don't make it out like this is a bad thing. It will <laughs> save you from dying. Exactly. There's been a lot of news in the U.S. about the infrastructure breaking down. And yet, if you compare it to the infrastructure of most anywhere else in the world, it's still far better. You can't take for granted that people are just going to know. They're going to wake up in the morning and know somehow how to put all these systems into place. There had to be brilliant inventors and brilliant builders who could actually build these systems on such a huge scale. And a lot of them came over from Britain to the places they were colonizing and built infrastructure that the peoples there probably couldn't have come up with until just about maybe now. Yeah, and you know, I saw this write up the other day where they were boasting about some advancements in some different countries in terms of like technology and so forth. And I just it made me laugh because I thought, well, the British are the ones that built it. They built the infrastructure for anything to anything good to happen there, and I don't even think there's that much good happening now because they've left, but but they were talking about all the, you know, Google does this and this other company does that. Yeah, but you wouldn't be able to do anything unless the British Empire came in and built it up in the first place. <laughs> look at places that they haven't touched. Mm-hmm. Look at look at North Korea. They're, they're, they can't even afford to turn the lights on at night right. in, in their, in their uh, country. And so, <laughs> but yet people are fawning over that, that uh, empire. It's amazing. One last thing that it brings out here, we don't have time to get into it, but it's just the fact that the British Empire served the world by giving it a common language, which is English, which, by the way, 
There, there is a way to speak English. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but you hear a lot of versions of it today that are not even close to the original language. Right, and it's a shame because we have the most beautiful language in history. That's what made Shakespeare capable of doing what he did with the language, uh, and we're kind of just treading down upon it now. Yeah, it's being treated like uh, if you speak correctly, that's some sort of a problem. So hey, now again, it's hard to do. There's a lot lot uh, of, uh, oh, modern vernacular that that sneaks in there but uh but some people just absolutely do not care and it's amazing even some write-ups you'll read from say uh well a lot of times different celebrities and athletes and they're trying to opine on this really big topic like gun control or something like that and they can't even grammatically put the sentence together exactly so you know i'm sorry if that's you know not the way we're supposed to talk about that but i mean you're supposed to take somebody seriously and they don't even know how to speak Correctly, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> that's that's something I could rant about for days. That that's infuriating that people think they're so scholarly and intellectual, and they can lecture us on all these social issues when they have no clue of the things that we should have learned in third grade. It's amazing. Don't listen too closely. You'll catch me in a few too. Uh, How the Empire <laughs> Served the World is a great write up there at uh, thetrumpet.com. Make sure you do check it out. It's a great time to do it too with the Olympics and such going on. Uh, that's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live on this weekend edition. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program, the new one, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, Trumpet Hour Week Review as well. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great weekend. See you Monday. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.